Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to Blogging Theology. My name is Paul Williams. Dr. Bart Ehrman and Dr. Lawrence Brown have been invited to have a dialogue on the subject of the existence or non-existence of God, the problem of human suffering and the purpose of life. Before we get started, here is a brief biography of Dr. Lawrence B. Brown. He is American, but now resides in Medina in Saudi Arabia. Dr. Brown graduated from Cornell University, College of Arts and Sciences, Brown University Medical School, and George Washington University Hospital Residency Program. He is a retired Air Force officer, the medical director and chief eye doctor of a major eye center in the Middle East, an ordained interfaith minister, and the author of a number of novels and books of comparative religion. He converted to Islam in 1994. I'm sure most of our viewers will know who Dr. Ehrman is, but in case some do not, Dr. Bart Ehrman is an American New Testament scholar focusing on textual criticism of the New Testament, the historical Jesus, and the origins and development of early Christianity. He has written and edited over 30 books, including three college textbooks. He is currently the James A. Gray Distinguished Professor of Religious Studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, USA. He identifies as both a humanist and an agnostic. The plan is that the two of you gentlemen would have a dialogue with me introducing and lightly chairing the proceedings. So a very warm welcome to you both, Dr. Bart Ehrman and Dr. Lawrence Brown. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, Dr. By way of uh, a lead-in, Dr. Brown's book, which I have a copy here, the first and final commandment, gives a taste of his approach to the subject. In the introduction, he writes, "The 11th-century philosopher and theologian Saint Anselm of Canterbury proposed in his Proslogion." I do not seek to understand that I may believe, but I believe in order to understand. The proposal of this author is that such a statement makes about as much sense as saying, I had to taste the sandwich before I could pick it up. The true order of priorities should be the exact opposite. Belief logically follows understanding, not the other way around. 
Most people demand sufficient explanation to nurse the embryo of a proposal to a formed conclusion before embracing it, end quote. Dr. Brown, could you kindly explain a bit more what you mean by this? Well, I think this is probably something that Dr. Ehrman and I see eye to eye on, and it's just that, um, you know, we can have a fruitful discussion on the basis of knowledge, but it's very hard to have any kind of a fruitful discussion on the basis of belief. Um, Benjamin Franklin had a very nice quotation, the way to see by faith is to shut the eye of reason. But um, William Adams countered with saying that faith is the continuation of reason. And that's my viewpoint. That's always been my viewpoint. Um, and that's, uh, that's about it. Uh, I was noticing with interest that um, Dr. Ehrman classified himself, and Dr. Ehrman, you've got to step in here and, and correct me if I'm wrong, if anything has changed, but you classified yourself as an agnostic atheist, correct? Uh, yeah. And I liked the way that you drew the distinction between atheism as a matter of belief and agnosticism as a matter of knowledge. Uh, and I think that's a very important distinction to make. Uh, the ability to say your beliefs, but then at the end of the day, say that you could be right, you could be wrong. Yeah, you know, when I became, I, I, I grew up in a faith community, and I was, I myself was a very conservative Christian for many years. I was a, uh, a conservative evangelical um, for a long time, and I ended up, you know, leaving the faith, obviously. When I left the faith, I, I, I thought what most people, I think, probably think, which is that agnostic and atheists are two degrees of the same thing. So uh, an agnostic is somebody who says they don't know if there's a God, and an atheist is somebody who says there is no God. <laughs> and that, and so that there are two degrees. And so that uh, we, in my context, most most uh, most atheists thought that agnostics were just wimpy atheists. You know, they, they really were atheists, but they were just afraid to say so. And most agnostics thought that atheists were just arrogant agnostics. <laughs> they didn't know either, but they were claiming they knew. And so that was my idea going into this, is that they were two degrees, and I want—I didn't know, so I just called myself an agnostic. But just, the more I thought about it, I realized they're actually talking about two different things. Agnosticism, as you point out, I mean, it comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. Agnostic is not knowing. And so if somebody asks me, is there a superior divine being in the universe? I don't know. <laughs> How would I know? I'm a peon. I, mean, I wouldn't know. But if somebody asked me, do you believe? Uh, then I'd say, uh, no, I don't, I don't believe there is. So theism is about belief, I think, and atheism. So atheism says, I don't believe there's a superior being. Agnosticism would say, I don't know. And it, it does seem to me that really is the most uh, sober way to approach the questions without making any positive claims. You know, how would we know? Well, I think I appreciated the comment because it, it's one that I had uh, developed many years ago uh, when I wrote an article about agnosticism where I basically pointed out that a person could be an agnostic believer in practically anything. They could be an agnostic Christian, an ag agnostic Jew, and so on if they held particular beliefs but were not sure of them. You know, uh, if their yeah. faith was not strong enough they, that they could say, I know. Now. Yeah. Of course, there are plenty of other people who feel secure enough in their beliefs 
that they say, I believe this and I know it's know it to be true. Um, and that is a, uh, probably a separate discussion, um, but it sort of falls into the category of what is, or, or falls into the realm of discussing what is knowledge. Well, that's right. Because obviously, obviously, there you know there are certain kinds of knowledge that can be conveyed easily conveyed to another person, but there are many others that cannot. I mean, for example, um, you know things that we believe in, but uh, but we cannot see gravity, entropy, black holes by definition, you cannot see, uh, my headache, um, your stomach ache, you know, things that like, I mean, if I have a headache, I know I have it, but I can't show it to anybody. I can't prove it to anybody. It's not provable. But you know, yeah. I, I'm just bogged down in this because I, actually the, the thing that I wanted to kind of uh, just say was that I was I was sort of uh, amazed by the fact that you and I had uh, very opposite pathways that in, in some respects intersected in the middle. Uh, because I started out atheist and became a believer. Uh, you started out a believer, evangelical Christian, and became atheist. And the midpoint of our two paths where we intersected, going in opposite directions, it would seem, was uh, in coming to appreciate the ungodly errors and inconsistencies in the Bible. And uh, I kind of wanted to just toss out what happened to me and then ask you to share your story, if you don't mind, because I think it would be interesting to me, but probably also to the viewers. Um, and so for myself, just in brief, I was, uh, I was you know, I was raised atheist and uh, events of life just put me on a spiritual path where I started to get an inkling that there was a God, a belief in God. And uh, as I investigated this, it led me to, of course, the Old Testament and then the New Testament. And as I discovered the, uh, as I said, the ungodly errors and inconsistencies in the Bible, I still held on to a core belief that no, I still believe that there is a God, and I still believe in the chain of prophethood, and um, I, I still believe that there's sense to the continuity in the chain of revelation. And the more I researched, the more I became convinced that the Old Testament was predicting three prophets to follow. Two of them I could account for, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, and that left a third that I could not account for. And then when I studied the New Testament, I encountered what I believe to be clear predictors of a final prophet to follow as well. So I was, I was searching for that final prophet, and that led me to investigating Islam and um, looking for the final prophet and the final revelation. I think the key to me was holding on to those core beliefs and also holding on to the belief that an all-merciful God would not leave mankind without clear guidance. And so I was looking for that clear guidance. And I, I, I always wondered, in, in your case, was it more a matter that you were raised sort of seeing the Bible as the be-all and end-all of Revelation? So when you found the ungodly errors and inconsistencies that kind of knocked the faith out of you, or, or was there something else to it? If you don't mind sharing. 
No, no, I, I'm happy to share. I will say, though, that I'm a little bit surprised by the way you're mapping out the, your progress, because I thought at the beginning you were saying that it's not faith-seeking understanding, but understanding-seeking faith. But it does sound to me like really at the heart of what your search was, was a basic faith that you were trying to understand better, leading you to think that there were three prophets. Uh, yeah. I myself don't have faith and so I, I would not look to the bible to find out what what predictions are going to be fulfilled because i don't think the bible is predicting what's going to be fulfilled and i don't see a reason to think that so if we if we start out with reason rather than faith i i don't i don't quite understand how you get to where you got but let, let, let me tell you my story first and we can get to that if you want to i uh, i actually I, I wasn't raised i wasn't raised believing in the infallibility of the bible um, I was raised in the Episcopal Church, and we were a fairly liberal Episcopal family, Episcopalian family. Um, it wasn't until I was a late teenager, well, late uh, mid-teenager, 15-year-old, that I became a, an evangelical born-again Christian. And at that point, I did be, begin to believe that the Bible was the infallible uh, Word of God. And um, I would have been quite happy with the kind of uh, search that you're talking about now, where you search the Bible for what it's predicting, and then you see what it predicts, and then you, you believe it. But you already have a kind of an inherent belief that the Bible is directing you someplace. And um, as a, you know, as a secularist now, I don't, I don't have that belief at all. That, but I do have to say that my, my, my leaving the faith really was not related to my understanding that the Bible had errors in it. Um, I, um, I had been, I'd been a hardcore conservative evangelical for years when I went off to graduate school and I started, uh, I learned Greek so I could read the New Testament in Greek and I learned Hebrew so I could learn, read the Hebrew, Old Testament in Hebrew. And I learned other ancient languages and did a lot of research. I, you know, it was my, it was my life. I was, I was a graduate student studying, studying biblical studies. And I, I came to realize that there are, in fact, mistakes in the Bible. There are contradictions and historical mistakes and scientific errors. And, and so I came to realize all that. But that, that isn't what led me away from the faith. Uh, I, remained a, uh, I remained a Christian for many years after that. I, I started teaching in the position I'm in now at Chapel Hill University of North Carolina. I'm still a church-going Christian. I taught adult education. Uh, as, as, you know. And so uh, what ended up leading me away from the faith was um, unrelated to any of that. It was the problem of suffering in the world, which is, I think, something you, you probably want to talk about. But it's, but I, um, I, it's a very, it's a long story. I don't want to uh, take up all, all the time by time my story. But the, the basic, the basic line is, I got to a point where I no longer could believe that there's a powerful God who is, who is a God of love, who is in control of this world, given the horrible, horrible state of things that many people experience. I just didn't believe. I came to a point where I just, you know, I read what everybody said. I read all what the biblical scholars said, what the theologians said, what the philosophers said. I read, I thought, I talked. I just got to a point where I just didn't believe it anymore. And so I still don't. I don't think that there's a, I don't think believe in God or Allah or anybody. I don't think there's supernatural beings in the universe. I, uh, and so I'm not a believer, but it's not because of the errors in the Bible. Yeah, your uh, initial observation is an interesting one and I will answer it because for me, um, the, the knowledge to me came in the form of a, a, you know, a personal knowledge on the level of something that a person experiences individually. As I said, I mean, I can't convince you that I have a headache. I remember I, I had this orthopedic surgeon who uh, worked in the hospital I worked in, and, and he told me that 
he always used to think that people who were complaining of back pain were just gold bricking that they, they were just you know they were just doing it to get disability and so on and so forth until after years of being an orthopedic surgeon he got back pain and so it's, you know i fall in the category of the atheist who you know you know the old saying there are no atheists in a foxhole so i had a uh, i had a dramatic experience in my life where uh, for the first time in my life i realized i was not in control of the situation. And even as an atheist, I prayed, but I prayed the, the, the typical sort of atheist prayer, you know, oh God, if, if there is a God, you know, uh, I need help. So, you know, if you, if you help me and guide me, I will follow. And, um, and I would say it was at that moment that certainty entered my heart and has just built since that time. But this did not, happen in a vacuum of other evidences. One of, one of the things that helped to ease me along this path is that I, I just met in, I just met in, you know, the path of, paths of life, a number of people who had, who had experienced near-death experiences. And I don't know how much you know about this subject, but near-death experiences are quite fascinating. I know a good bit about it, actually. Okay, well, so, you know, there's been a great deal of study on this. Uh, it, it used to be something that was dismissed by the medical community in the past. Um, it used to be believed that these were the machinations of an ischemic brain. The, the brain robbed of oxygen would give the replaying of the life's events, the, um, you know, the seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, the the ethereal images and the, uh, the pleasant feeling and so on, that all of this was something sort of conjurings of an ischemic brain. But as the experience became more recognized and more validated, more people started coming out and talking about it. And some fascinating things have developed. The two most fascinating of which I'm aware are two things that simply cannot be accounted for by the theory of an ischemic brain. Bearing in mind that uh, we now have an estimated uh, 9 million near-death experiences in the United States. And one of the elements, one of the common elements of the near-death experience is being able to rise out of the body or stand next to the body and see and hear everything that is happening around you. And... Uh, many people with the near-death experience have described just rising up, getting far away from the scene of their, you know, close to death. And at the same time, being able to focus in on, on people and things happening around the scene of the accident, the scene of the cardiac code, whatever it might be. And when they come back, they're able to relate these things. Now... The fascinating thing about that is that we have so many near-death experiences now that we have near-death experiences of people who were born blind or who became blind during their life. Despite the fact that they were born blind, when they came back, they were able to relate things that could only be related by somebody who had spatial awareness, who were, was able to actually visualize the event. The second, the second thing that cannot be explained by the medical community 
along the lines of an ischemic brain, is that many people describe in their near-death experience rising out of their body, going towards the light, and being united with their dead relatives. And part of that that cannot be explained is, again, that there have now been so many experiences that there are some people have been united with dead relatives who they had no way of knowing were dead. They had been killed in a car crash half an hour ago on the other side of the world or something like that. They come back from their near-death experience relating how they met Uncle Bob or whatever it was, said, how am I meeting Uncle Bob? I talked to him on the phone just yesterday. Um, and, um, and then when they investigate it, they find out that indeed Uncle Bob had died, you know, an hour ago in China or something like this. I mean, I, I'm not giving you specific examples, but these, this is what has happened. So this, uh, along with just me as, you know, being a doctor and uh, seeing the life death, death process on a frequent basis, helped to convince me that there was something more than our material existence, that there must be a soul. And when you start to embrace that reality, it leaves you realizing that there's something far beyond our, our simple material uh, bodies. And that, you know, I think that, I think that quite I'm reasonably. Happy, I'm, happy to, I'm happy to respond to that. Yeah. Okay. Is that okay, Dr. Brown? If Dr. Ehrman uh, responds. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I had enough time. <laughs> yeah. I, um, so I, I got very interested in near death experiences when I started writing a book on heaven and hell. Um, that was, was, came out a couple of years ago in my book. And I, I used the book as an excuse to read a lot of things I was interested in reading that I had no excuse to read otherwise. And one of the things I was mainly interested in was near-death experiences. Uh, so I read about 20 books about near-death experiences and um, uh, from all sides. And uh, I'm completely convinced that, in fact, there are scientific explanations for them. Uh, and, um, you know, I... It, it does kind of go back to you're having a headache. You're right. I, you can't convince me you have a headache, but there are neurological reasons you have a headache. Um, everything in your head can be explained neurologically. It's not that we do understand everything. Uh, everything. Uh, there are a lot of things we don't understand, uh, as you know, as a doctor. I mean, there are lots of things we don't understand, but in principle, we can understand them. Um, and if there isn't a neurological explanation, then <laughs> your brain, I mean, so um, that's, I'm, I am a hardcore, I'm not a scientist the way you are, you're a doctor, but um, I think if you actually read the scientific literature near-death experiences, then the anecdotal evidence that you're citing uh, is no longer very persuasive. Um, it's, you, you cannot base uh, scientific judgment on uh, anecdotal evidence, what people claim to happen. Uh, there have been scientific experiments of there have been scientific experiments, for example, of out-of-body exper uh, experiences uh, where they tested and the t <laughs> it doesn't happen. I mean, it doesn't happen the way these people say it does. Uh, and so, um, and, and if anybody wants to contact, I'm happy to give them bibliography, although they don't need bibliography from me, just look it up. And if you want to see, like, at, I, I mean, I'll just give you, an ex I'll give you uh, some examples of things. I mean, the, um, um, there was a there was a very um, 
important uh, near-death experience book, bestseller uh, uh, by, uh, what's his name, Alexander, um, uh, who, uh, Proof of Heaven. Oh, is this um, the New York, uh, the New York uh, neuropsychiatrist? I think. Yeah. Well, he's not. No, he's not a neuroscientist. He's a neuro, he was a neurosurgeon. And neurosurgeon. Part of the problem, he he didn't he, even Alexander. I think he he didn't seem to know much about the <laughs> neurology. That was the problem because neurologists reviewed his book and said, yeah, I mean. They, the mistakes he makes about just in, about neurology, <laughs> it was really quite, a, quite astounding. And including Oliver Sacks, who had the most amazing article in The Atlantic that just shows that this person really did not know what he was talking about, uh, just about, about the brain. Uh, and, but everybody was convinced, everybody thought, well, this is great. A, neuro, a neurosurgeon, you know, had a near-death experience and the way he describes it, oh my God, you know, and, but it's not only that, it's not only that neuroscientists have a lot to say about this and can explain a lot of this, uh, but also it's that you can look at cross-cultural studies uh, that are very interesting. Uh, because sure. the cross-cultural studies tell you a lot about how much this is being manufactured out of the brain, because it depends what culture you're in uh, for what kind of experience you have. <laughs> well, how does that? Yeah. So what's that all about? Uh, so uh, anyway, I do know about near-death experiences. I do not consider anecdotal evidence to be evidence. And I think that it's a proclivity to believe that allows people to be to be accepting. Of, of this kind of anecdotal evidence because they're inclined that way anyway. Uh, but you will, you will not find scientific evidence for this kind of claim. Well, I, I don't agree with that. And I'd refer you to a book, which is called the science of near death experiences by I've read John it. C. Hale. Yeah. I've read know, it. I mean, he, I, has some, he has some anecdotes in there, of course. Yes. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, while at the same time, you know, you you see a list of elements that definitely could be cultural, could be things dreamed up by the brain. The the point that he makes is that the you know the one thing that he highlights that the brain could not imagine is the one that I the one that I mentioned. You know, blind blind patients born blind returning to describe scenes that require spatial awareness and the basically the ability to see. Um, and you, you might want to read some reviews in that book. But in any case, look, let's, not get bogged down, let's not get bogged down in this because there will be people who believe in this and others who do not. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. There but, are going to be people who believe in it. My point, though, is that when you when you begin by saying you're going to approach things through knowledge, I thought that that meant like scientific knowledge, not not stories that people tell. There's a big difference. And they might, the stories may be true. They may not be true. But uh, for me, I'm just saying that it's not convincing to me that people describe experiences. I've, I've, I've heard people describe... Can I just ask, just for clarification, so, sorry, if there are people who are born blind, known to have been born blind, who have these experiences, uh, perceiving, uh, having spatial awareness, observing things, and accurately reporting them after their NDE, what um, what explanation could there be within your paradigm of the brain that could explain that? Uh, within my paradigm of the brain? Yes, yeah, so your understanding, your, your, perhaps your naturalistic understanding. How would that be explained? We don't, we don't, we don't know everything about the brain. And if we knew everything about the brain, we could answer a question like that. But I mm -hmm. mean, neuroscientists don't have any. I mean, we don't know how the. 
you've got you've got a hundred billion a hundred billion neurons in there, trillions of synapses. We don't know how the thing works. There are all sorts of things about the brain we don't. So I'm not saying that I have an explanation, but I'm saying that in principle there's an explanation, and that it's just like we couldn't explain why lightning happened for most of the human race. But right, it would have right. would not have been appropriate for us to say, therefore, God must be sending it. Right. So the, the explanation you, you say that, that there must be a naturalistic explanation, but but there okay, could also well, be there is a naturalistic explanation for everything. There could also be other kinds of explanation, obviously. Yeah. Okay. But I'm, well, I'm saying you can't invoke, you can't invoke the supernatural because you don't understand something. You know, I, you you can't say that you don't understand why there's earthquakes and therefore God did it. And no. you can't ex say that you I'm can't sure understand what's happening in this occasion. It's simply brain powers unless yeah. because we don't you know how the brain say. works. Okay. You can't compare uh, these things. This is not we're not we're, we're not talking about the same uh, the same sort of thing here. I mean I mean earthquakes and lightning and so on, we we, we can figure those out. How, uh, for how, but we've only been able to explain them for the last 200 years. So you can't invoke the supernatural for something you can't explain because there's no other explanation. You can't say, well, we can't explain it because the brain can't do that. Well, it's like saying you can't well, say that lightning can't happen because we know that climate can't make it happen. We only okay. well, began knowing that 200 years ago. Okay. Dr. Well, Rand, how do you respond to this? It's just a, a, a supernatural explanation. And, and the, a person born blind, having his ND, accurately describing all these things, can be explained purely on naturalistic grounds. Ultimately, well, 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 I want one other point before he answers that, which is I want to see the scientific evidence that that happens rather than anecdotes. Well, scientific you know, evidence again, rather than anecdotes well again i mean this falls into the category of you know how do you prove your headache i mean you can do no, an you, eeg and it will not prove a headache Dr. I mean, we know that possible to, to if know, someone look, counted this what they say to prove it for what they were saying and doing sorry let me go back to something very fundamental that dr Ehrman was saying saying that you cannot invoke the supernatural when you uh, run out of scientific evidence or something like that. I and mean, the fact of the matter is that the atheist naturalists have been doing this for a very long time. I mean, look, at the very most fundamental level, we get into the question of where everything came from. Everybody in their lifetime asks themselves in general two questions, who made me and why am I here? Now, the creationist, of course, says everything came from God, and the atheists say, well, who made this God, who made that God, and then they say, well, who made God? And they say, ah, ha, ha, you can't answer that. Well, turnabout is fair play. The creationist can ask the atheist, well, where did everything come from? And they refer back to a singularity that exploded into a big bang, and we know where everything went from there. So everything is from the singularity, the Big Bang, and evolution. Okay, fine. Where did the singularity come from? Again, they cannot say. According to the most uh, accepted view of the Big Bang, the uh, Penrose-Hawking model of the singularity, prior to the singularity, there was no matter, no energy, no time, and no space. Not even the space that nothingness could exist in existed. Nothing existed. So where did the singularity come from? You get into a position where either answer is as good as the other.
If you're going to get into the greater creator philosophy, where did God come from? Must have been created by a higher power. Well, then, where did that come from? A higher power. No, you get into no, I'm, happy yes. I'm happy the to same thing. No, I understand the argument. I, you know, when I was a theist, I made that argument all the time, and so I, I get the, the same. Argument. Okay, the same thing with the singularity. Where did a singularity come from? No, I know that's the argument. Yeah. I know yeah. yes, that's the argument. Sure. No, I know. Okay, that's no. a common argument. I, know, I understand the argument. So let me ask no, you, no, Dr. No, Brown. My point is, my point is, even atheists. No, I understand you, Dr. Brown. You made the argument. I understand the argument. I understand okay, it. All right. I, I understand. I used to make that argument myself, so I understand it. I, uh, let right. me ask you: Do you believe in the Big Bang? Uh, yes, and our re our religion, I mean, the Islamic religion actually has uh, scripture that supports okay, the Big Bang. Okay. I'm just saying that, yeah, you, you think that God caused the Big Bang, and I, I think that we don't know what caused the Big Bang. Well, exactly. I mean, if you're looking, I mean, as, as I'm saying, you were talking about you can't invoke supernatural when you run out of scientific. And I'm not. First of all, I think there, there is scientific evidence. You do, and I don't. But it's fine. No, no, I'm, I'm, not not saying right. I'm saying you, you might be right, but you do invoke the supernatural and I do not. Well, wait, I, I am not talking about you. I'm talking about the atheist scientists who run well, out of I don't know about them. I'm just talking, I thought we were talking about what we, you and I thought. I thought we were talking about what you and I thought. I, I, I'm not going to okay. support some scientists that I don't agree with. I'm just saying that I don't know why the Big Bang happened. Uh, most um, mo look, most astronomers also say they don't know why. People talk about how they have exactly. some idea about something came, but exactly. I'm not. I'm not defending that. I'm just saying that I don't know, but I don't appeal to a supernatural to explain something I don't know. You do, okay, well, and that's well, why you might be right. Okay, that's that's the difference between us. But what I'm what I'm saying is that the the atheist scientists they do refer to the supernatural in the sense that they run out of an explanation. And the same thing happens with evolution. No, no, no. If they're atheists, they do not appeal to supernatural. An atheist believes only in the natural. Let me give you an example, okay? So when it comes to, when it comes to evolution, okay? You know, the common theory, progenitor cell, the, the, the common precursor cell that led to all life. The one thing that cannot be explained by the theory of evolution is where life came from, that ineffable quality of life. I mean, we can take uh, functioning organs and basically Frankenstein together a rabbit or a cat or whatever, but we cannot make it live. So the question is where life came from. Well, it's a very big question. It's a very big question. And scientists don't science. have the answer yet. They're working on it, but they're working on it. And, you know, because we don't know yet does not mean, therefore, God did it. That's not the point. The point is that the answer that they commonly uh, refer to is they say, well, it came from outer space. No, uh, like, no, they don't. Who's they? They don't. Sci <laughs> oh, okay, look. Uh, okay. I'm sorry, Dr. Brown. Dr. Dr. Brown. Dr. Brown. Dr. Brown. Just, a second. Just a second, Dr. Brown. Oh, no, wait a minute. I'm not saying aliens. I'm not saying aliens. Okay. Dr. Brown, may, uh, I, may I say something, please? If it okay. came from outer space, how did life get created in outer space? It's a silly argument. That's no, the point. I don't know any scientists. I believe that's I don't know the point. science fiction writers who say that, but I don't know scientists who say. Who I do you think? Professor Richard Dawkins did say that on one occasion as a possibility. Uh, who did? Richard, Richard, yeah, Richard Dawkins. 
actually suggested that as a possibility. Richard Dawkins, the atheist yeah. scientist in Oxford, well, he no, said that one. It's a possibility that life came to Earth. He, he said it. So it's, it's not yes, a possibility. Yes. Well, well, you have to understand what he's saying. He's not saying that he's saying that life may have come to Earth from outer space, and that's absolutely exactly. true. It may, have, but yes. it doesn't explain where life came from. But that's Dr. Brown's point, I think. So, uh, Dr. Brown, that's, you, that's, that's what everybody look. Dawkins is not saying that life originated in outer space because he doesn't. I mean, in the sense that, like, I mean, you've got the same problem when you put it into outer space. Where did exactly. it come? From? Of course, exactly. this is a huge problem. But that, that, that's oh, the point. No, actually, actually, Dawkins, Dawkins said the same about thing. How it came said. to Earth? He's not talking about where it originated. He's talking no, about actually, how Dawkins. It came to Earth. Okay, carry on, Dr. Brown. Actually, Dawkins said the same thing that you said. No, actually, Dawkins said the same thing that you said. Uh, He was asked in an interview, where did life come from? And he said, I don't know, but I have faith that science will figure it out. Yes, that's right. I remember when I heard that. I don't know if anybody thinks it originated. Like, you you came to Earth by outer space. It's just like science fiction. Yes. The question is, where does life become? It's the biggest issue. I've, I've got, I think there are several big issues, and you've named two of them. One is, for, for atheists, the big issues are, how does something come from nothing? We don't know. How does life originate? We don't know. And where does consciousness come from? We don't know. These are the three big issues that we can't okay. explain yet. But it doesn't mean, you know, we couldn't explain yet. We're all sorts of things. You know, <laughs> we, we couldn't explain DNA for most of the human race. It didn't mean it didn't exist. I mean, we hadn't figured it out yet. Okay. But it also okay. doesn't mean that we ever will be able to explain them. I, I mean, it doesn't mean that. my, my point was just that when Dawkins said that he had faith that science would figure it out, I mean, I just laughed because he was saying that word, faith. You know, he's saying, I have faith. And I realized, okay, well, that's his God, yeah, is science. Well, you know, okay, he has right. faith that, God will figure, that science will figure that's it out. Right. Well, I have faith that's in God. You know? That's fine. Although I don't see how yeah. your reason is getting you there. I mean, I can see how your faith is getting you there. Okay. Can I, can well, I, I mean, uh, a bit, just a final point, Doctor Brown? Sorry, yeah. before you before yeah. we continue, um, in a second, I'd like to move the conversation on. Uh, you can have, have a word. I'm not saying immediately. Say what you wish, Doctor Brown. Of course, but the, the problem of, of human suffering, because this is a, a key or the key reason why uh, Doctor Ehrman decided it's impossible to believe that there was a loving God, given that the amount of human suffering and other perhaps animal suffering, I don't know, in in the world. So, but so can we? transition to that in a second but but please sorry, uh, finish off your point dr brown um well you know th- there is personal experience which is very real and uh, so what what can i say i mean dr dawkins was saying that he had faith in science i have faith in god now you're saying that you don't see how that ties in with knowledge to me, it's kind of like string theory. I mean, string theory is basically, you know, a theory where you have some all these strings pointing towards one particular reality. When you get enough lines of evidence pointing in a certain direction, and at the same time, you have personal experience, which is telling you something that you personally cannot deny. Well, there has to be a point at which you say, well, that's sufficient for me. Yeah. I do think that's why you believe is because of personal experience. 
it makes sense to you and it resonates with your experiences in life and i have no i have no problem with that I, you know that's why most people that's why people believe they don't believe because they've had some kind of scientific demonstration of it it's not it's not based on what what you can demonstrate it's based on experience and so when people have those experiences then they are going to believe uh and sometimes that's why i believed when i was a believer you know, I don't think anybody reasons themselves into faith. I think they experience themselves into faith. Uh, and so people might convince themselves that it's all, you know, the reasoning that way, but they're not because there's no scientific evidence for any of this. It's, it's experiential. But Dr. isn't it the case, I remember seeing a recent study that many, many people uh, move into transition into atheism based on a, a traumatic emotional experience uh, rather than reason, that there are many atheists who are just yeah. angry with God, actually. I know yes. they reject God, but paradoxically there is this emotional need, and that's why they are atheists. Not, we're all atheists are rational beings, perhaps like yourself. Oh, no, 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 that's right. No, I think I think most people, you know, what, whatever they happen to think about ultimate reality is based largely on experience and just on kind of what makes sense to them in their cultural context. Yeah. Okay, fine. I, mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, look, if you look at creation as a whole, I mean, we see the footprints of, a, of the creator in all of creation. I mean, there I are many things that... Look, look, I'm saying, look, we see so many things around us that we accept as realities, whether it's gravity. Show me the gravity. Show it to me. I mean, scientifically, we can test it again. And this thing still drops to the ground. And so we say the evidence is in favor of gravity, but it's not something we can see, have or hold or demonstrate to another person. Black I don't understand holes. why you think that. I don't think, I understand no, no, why you think knowledge is all sense-based. Why do you I'm think saying there are many concrete realities that we accept on the basis of evidence, but you cannot prove that particular thing. Who has ever seen a black hole? You it's can. impossible by definition. It you depends know, what you mean by proof. Dr. Brown, it depends what you mean by proof. If, you, if your idea of proof is sense experience, then uh, you're correct. You can't touch gravity or see it. You also can't touch or see the square root of nine. It doesn't mean... <laughs> three. It is three, and you can prove it. But you prove it mathematically. You don't prove it through sense experience. To say that you can't prove gravity because you can't experience it, because you can't see it or hear it or feel it. You, well, actually, you can feel it, by the way. But 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 because you can't base it on sense experience. And it, of course, as a doctor, you know this that, that there are all sorts of things that that are proved that aren't proved through sense experience or through experience at all. They're, they're proved through mathematical formulae. Correct, but there are also a lot of things that we accept that are not, they're proven to a confidence interval, but they are not proven absolutely. I mean, no, that's what that's scientific why, research why, is all about. Yeah, that's why it's a theory of gravity. <laughs> I mean, it's a theory, like, just like, you exactly. know. Exactly. I've got exactly. my students who say, my students would say, well, you know, evolution is just a theory. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, well, gravity is just a theory. <laughs> but I mean, you know, how many times have you seen it gone wrong? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, one of, uh, Dr. Brown, one of the serious challenges uh, in, in uh, Dr. Ehrman's view to the even the existence of a loving God is the problem of human suffering. Uh, what does Islam have to say on this uh, subject? Is it a problem for Islam? And if so, what, 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 how, how are we to think about it? 
I, mean, I think that, uh, of course, this is a, a question, an issue that has been brought up among the religious forever, as far as I know. Hmm. But uh, I think it all comes back to the purpose of life. Uh, what, is, what is each person's concept of the purpose of life? Is, is it that we're supposed to have paradise on earth? I mean, who promised that? We're, you know, who defined the purpose of our life as being that? as opposed to this life being a testing ground where the worthy are sorted from the unworthy. Um, look, there's no denying that there's a great deal of pain and suffering in, the, you know, in our worldly life. But what we don't see is what follows that. And that's, you know, that's something that, of course, if you believe in an afterlife, you, you cannot see. I mean, there's, you know, there are all kinds of different ways of saying this, and and some of them are rather pat answers, which I, I think Dr. Ehrman and I both are probably not comfortable with, like the old saying that, you know, the one who God loves dies young. Well, okay, you know, that, that's maybe a way of mollifying yourself to uh, accept the tragedies of life. But I think uh, another way of looking at it is just that, you have to sort of question, uh, what's the alternative? Uh, is the alternative to make paradise on earth? If, there's a, if, that is the, if that is the reason for our existing, for us just to have the party of our lives, there will always be somebody suffering a tragedy because there will always be somebody who has less than, than somebody else. Even if it is that everybody's driving a BMW and this person is driving a, a lesser car, you know, and if that is the scale that you're looking at, that will be measured as as a, a tragedy if there's nothing else to to build on. Uh, I'm just look to put it into a framework that I think we all can understand. What's the purpose of education? You know, I mean, Dr. Herman, you're you're an educator. You obviously know the purpose of education. It's to impart useful knowledge and and to uh, help people to think in critical ways that will lead to improvement in the human condition over time. What's the purpose of a job? It's to produce useful products. A family is to have a cohesive unit that uh, forms a beneficial sector of society. What's the purpose of a society? Same thing is to have a have a construct that in some way improves the human condition. You can't have any of these things without some pain, some suffering, some work, some effort. If you look at the people in life who we have the most admiration for, it's people who have been through the fire and persevered against adversity to achieve their goals, whether it's a Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X or whatever, okay? They are people who have persevered against adversity to achieve their higher purpose. You can't have that if you have no adversity. Show me the, show me the person who had a soft life, who had everything given to them from the day they were born, who we look upon with respect and say, wow, that person really achieved something. That person had everything handed to them. There's no, there's no nobility to that. The, no, the nobility, the honor, the respect goes to the person who struggled against hardship and achieved something. Can I, I was watching that. Uh, I, I was just, uh, can I, I just uh, some of that if I could? Go ahead. Okay, so to begin with, uh, 
I would I would agree that we should not accept pat answers. Um, I'm not sure that the answer that you know after we die we will be in paradise is a satisfactory answer. Um, nobody nobody I I've never said anything about expecting paradise on Earth. Um, my concern isn't for people who have to struggle a bit in order to become noble, uh, so that. Um, uh, you know, a Nelson Mandela who goes through horrible things, uh, but emerges as a, as a great man. Uh, my problem is with the children who starve to death. Um, every, um, there's a child who starves to death on our planet every eight seconds. These people are not being made more noble. They're not, um, they're not, um, you know, they're not, they're not suffering for any good cause. Uh, and they're suffering. They're, we're talking about starvation. We're, we're not talking about like having a hangnail sure. Make it, sure. to make us more happy for ourselves. And uh, I, I would be surprised if most most Muslims think that um, that these children of starving death are all going to have paradise afterwards. If you do think they're going to have paradise afterwards, then all you've done is you've transferred the paradise on Earth to paradise somewhere else. And so I don't see why that's any less of a pat answer. It's just, well, it'll be, all be made right in the end. Um, uh, you know, you can think that if you want, and it can certainly make you feel better about the fact that 300 people die every day of malaria or that um, tsunamis kill 300,000 people at one time, or that mudslides in Colombia kill 30,000 people overnight, you know, and that 800,000 people die of, uh, in the United States of a, of a pandemic and, and going strong still. I mean, but, you know, I think when you actually start looking at the real suffering, uh, you know, not, not suffering like I've had, uh, you know, which I've had suffering, which, you know, Many, much has had a silver lining, made me a better person. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who are really suffering, suffering in extremis. Uh, if you have an explanation for that, uh, that that that's the issue for me. I do not think. And by the way, well, I don't. I would not say that I consider it impossible to believe in God because of all this. Uh, I find it very difficult for myself. I find it difficult myself to believe in God and lots of people have answers and they seem to be happy with them. And I've never heard one yet of the, well, of the many ever that seems at all satisfactory to me that does anything except for minimize the real suffering. Okay. Right, I'll just add your to that. Let me, let me not try to convince you. Okay. But let me just present the Islamic perspective on such things. Um, I mean, I think the first is that if you have faith in God, you have to have faith in his attributes. One of his attributes, of course, is that he is fair and just. Now, the whole concept, uh, I mean, the, the objection to, uh, to saying that there is no God and there cannot be, not be any God because there's so much pain and suffering in this world is, uh, is the problem of, uh, of basically reconciling God's mercy with the pain and suffering of people who, as you said, you know, do not go on to live past their suffering to show the benefit of having come through that and that difficulty, but rather they they suffer and they die. Um, and uh, and yet, the Islamic perspective is that number one, suffering can be a purification. It it can be a purifying of your sins in this world 
for a paradise in the afterlife. So yes, that is very much in the formula, and you might not believe that, but that but we do. Uh, another another is, as I said, just the the trust that that Allah is fair and just, that this life is not the be all and end all of existence, that this is a very, very small part of the continuum into the next existence. And this all comes back to your concept, or not your specifically, but people's concept of the uh, purpose of life. If you believe that this life is everything, then of course the injustices will tear you apart. Not just the pain and suffering, but also the injustices. Just the simple and the big injustices, it will tear you apart. If you think that at the end of this life, it's the end. However, if you realize that all injustices will be repaired in the afterlife, then you have a different perspective. In the same way, if you see this life as this is the end, you will have a different, very different perspective than if you view life as being, as it has classically been described, our lives being less than a grain of sand on all the beaches and all the deserts of all the world. In, in that model, in that model, whatever a person suffers in this life is small compared to an eternal existence after. Can, now, can don't I get me wrong. Yeah, do, you think, do you think that people, it's really a yes and no question, do you think that people who do not believe in Allah, for example, people who are atheists, do you think that they will be rewarded after death? It's just a yes well, or no question, just interested. I mean, uh, no, I don't. I don't think they okay. will be rewarded. Reward, rewarded for what? Why an eight-year-old girl who dies of salvation has to do that, because she won't be rewarded afterwards. You said that the well, reason it is suffering is because they'll be rewarded afterwards. But now you're saying that most people in the world will not be rewarded afterwards. So that means that they're suffering for some other reason. So what is the other reason? Remembering that, remember that suffering drives person towards people towards belief. It's like that old quote I said. No, I'm talking about a girl who dies, but she's, she doesn't believe and she dies by starving no, I know, to death. I know, I know okay, but wait. Okay, so tell me about right. that. Okay, but... Be patient. <laughs> Be patient. Okay. I mean, first, first of all, you know, Islam takes into account a person's age because there, there is an age at which you are accountable for knowledge. Okay. okay the eight-year-old is now a thirty-eight-year-old. Let's say she's a thirty-eight-year-old then. Okay. Okay, a thirty-eight-year-old. Fine. I mean, a thirty-eight-year-old. You, you know, I mean, the Islamic perspective is that, you know, if by the age of majority you have not recognized and honored your creator, then you are falling outside of his grace. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm sorry, but so why do they stop? Joke. Well, let me, let me just continue the thought I was on. I mean, you know, I think this is something that we as human beings can understand very easily. We all are loving, right? But our love can turn to hate on the, on the flip of a coin if something goes, if it is turned against us. Every parent knows this. Every parent who has a child that they put their life into, they, they raise and they put their, their love and, and their effort and their sweat and their toil in years and years, they know that they would love to see that child up on the podium someday saying, I owe this to my parents for all that they did to invest in me, to raise me to this point. But also every parent's parent knows 
how they would feel if their child got up there and said, my parents had nothing to do with this. They're nothing to me. I mean, they slept together and I was the result. This is all me. They had nothing to do with it. They're, they're dirt to me. Okay? Yeah, I don't, think the I, mean, parent, this, I don't think the parent then tortures the child. No, no. This is, I'm just saying this is why loving relationships turn hateful. This no, is, you're this using is the analogy why. about God. God is children and they should acknowledge him. But if they don't acknowledge no, him, he tortures them? No, this is not what I'm, look, this is not what I'm saying. I am saying that the, as human beings, we can understand that love, you know, love can turn to bitterness uh, very easily for reasons that we can understand. Now, you can, it's all fine to say that, that God is all loving and all merciful. Yes, but what about the elements of his creation do not, who do not recognize him, who do not honor him? Is okay. it your sense who, that those, are, those elements are the ones who suffer, that the ones who don't acknowledge him are the ones who suffer, and that those who do acknowledge him don't suffer? Because if that's not your view, then you still have to explain why the innocent suffer. Suffer, suffering brings people to recognition of their creator. I mean, let, let's not forget that part of the formula. Dr. No, Brown, no, you are not saying that people who are starving to death all of a sudden begin to believe in Allah. You're surely not saying that. I'm saying that people turn to God in times of hardship, yes. Many people don't. The majority of people who starve to death are really, really suffering. And, it's, and they're not thinking, oh, now I'm going to start believing in Allah. It just doesn't happen sure. that way. So you can turn your blind eye to suffering. You can turn a blind eye to it and say, look, okay, well, we don't know why, or they'll have paradise afterwards, or merely getting what they want, or, you know, they rejected God, so God's rejecting them. But I'm sorry, I do not see these as, as acceptable answers for why there's such massive starvation and, and, uh, and horrible deaths in the world. I just don't see well, it. Well, that's, that's for you. You don't see it, and other people do. I mean, I mean Suffering is part of of our world existence. I mean, yes. Yeah. So you said you start out by saying that you are going to start with reason, not with faith. And I want to know your reasons for the suffering. That makes sense. What are your reasons? Not everything makes human sense. I mean, one of the fallacies. I'm sorry. Look, I was an atheist for 35 years. Okay. One of the reasons I turned away from atheism was because I became very disillusioned by the level of arrogance among most scientists, scientific atheists, because they feel like if they cannot figure it out with their human mind, then it must not be real, or it, it you know, must not make sense to them. I mean, who are we really? We're human beings, yes, and we have a mind, yes. But what is that compared to? If your paradigm of, uh, of you know, the universe is a creator uh, of such magnificence and power as to have created this entire universe in all of its intricacies and, and so on, I mean, what arrogance for us to presume that we understand his design? Okay, it's perfect. That's perfectly fine, Dr. Brown. But I do want to point out, I mean, you surely see the contradiction. You started out by insisting that it's not faith seeking understanding. It's understanding seeking faith. And that reason is what led you to faith. Now you're saying you have the faith, but you don't know the reason.
If you don't know the reason for the biggest problem we have, why is there suffering? And you're saying you just have to trust God. That's faith seeking understanding, which is just what you said you were opposed to. Okay, you can hold me to account for that. But my argument is that the things that I'm saying do make sense. I mean, look, you're saying you're agnostic. I mean, T.H. Huxley had a saying that all truth in the end is only common sense clarified. Okay, it's common sense, not scientific knowledge. I mean, it's common sense that a child at a, a an age of minority is not expected to make the same de decisions that, as a person uh, with a mature mind. Islam does does not expect that these children are going to be held accountable for whether they whether they die Muslim at the age of you know six months or 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 even six years, but an adult is expected to have figured it out by the time that they become twelve or fourteen or sixteen or whatever is the is the age of majority. Okay, but you do realize that the vast majority of the human race has not accepted Allah, <laughs> and so Sorry? and. It's you do accept the fact that most people of age in the world, the vast majority of the human race, does not accept Allah. And in your view, then you're kind of, you're kind of left up a creek when you have to do when you have to deal with the problem of suffering. When three hundred thousand oh. people are killed by a tsunami, I, I I just I'm just trying to understand why you think there's a a God behind that. Uh, or what I'm trying to understand what you okay, fair enough. Say um, reasons for it. I want to know what your reasons are. But look, Dr. Ehrman, this is not a this is not a game of numbers. I mean, it's it's not like you know, I'm talking about 300,000 individuals, people with lives who are killed. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, there, there were periods where there were prophets who only gathered one or two people to follow them. I mean, look how many people followed Noah if you believe the story. Okay, this is not a game of numbers. It's not like majority rules. No, right? but you're talking about But having said that, having said that, let me say this. Let me just say this, okay? I, I gave the example earlier of, uh, you know, I was asking what's the purpose of education? What's the purpose of a job, family, society, all right? Pain and suffering is not evidence against a God. It's evidence of a God. Why? Because. Why? Because. Everybody knows, education was the first one I mentioned. Everybody knows that education is stressful, it's painful. There are students on ulcer medication, there are students who have committed suicide over the stresses of their education. The stresses of the education are evidence of the existence of a teacher who is grading them, who is holding them to task, holding them to participation, to tests, and to evaluation that is going to shape their future. Same thing for a job. The suffering that people have on the job, right? The productivity that is expected of them, their performance on the job. That's the evidence of what? That's the evidence of a boss who is, again, holding them to task for their performance. And if okay, they don't so meet the I, performance, they're what? Fired. Family, the same thing. You know, you, you want to be a productive that. member of the family. You don't want to dead, be a deadbeat. Society. At the same I, time, I, I, in, all, in all of these examples, in all of these examples, the people at the lower uh, at the lower element of the system, they don't get to write the rules. The students don't write the exams. The employees don't write their job descriptions and performance expectations. The members of society do not write international law. Okay. Great. And, yet that, and, yet, and yet when it comes to this, 
We expect that, uh, you know, human beings say, well, I should be able to dictate to God how he runs the world. No, no, I'm not dictating to God at all. But I mean, if this is your analogy, that uh, that God to humans is like the teacher to students, or the employer is to employees, and God is going to write the rules, uh, then your God, who's writing the rules, uh, is creating massive starvation because that's his rule. And, you know, sorry, he writes the rules. And the fact that there's massive starvation proves that there's a God who's in control of the world, in, is in your view. And if your God is the God who creates the suffering, then no, I'm not interested in believing in him. Well, that, that's an individual choice. But what I am saying is, is you do want to believe in him. It, you want to believe in a God who's creating massive suffering and the massive suffering shows you that this God is true. Oh, okay. No. Okay. No, no, wait, wait, God, German, not at all. Not at all. That I want to believe in said. God. No, 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 no. Uh, wanting to believe in a God who does these things and believing in a God who does these things are different. But wanting to believe in God is it's the state of believing in a in a creator because it makes sense, okay? Right? But that doesn't mean that I, you know, Accept, only accept him within the framework of, of what is appealing to me. I, it, it's like saying, okay, God, uh, you know, I believe I that. Know, uh, no, there, no, I'll, saying, only, I'll only believe you if you if you run your business the way I'd like. No, it, no, 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 no. no or, the way, or the way it makes sense to me. Right. You know, and, if you, You're saying, and if you don't run it in ways I understand. We, we have, I understand I'm sure we have to move on, Dr. Brown, but I have to say that you, I'm not saying that you want to believe in a God who creates the suffering. I'm saying that you do believe in a God who creates the suffering. And you, the way you have just, I mean, you've just expressed it very well, that it's like a teacher that a student commits suicide because the teacher is so hard on them. And that's what your God is like. Somebody who creates so much suffering because the demands are so high that, that people, millions of people suffer. That's the God you believe in. And I will say, I do not believe that there's a God like that in the world. I just don't. I don't believe that there's a God who creates suffering and a God who creates suffering so that some people, the ones who happen to believe in Allah, are going to have a paradise afterwards and everyone else not. I just don't believe in that. But it might not be, I mean, that might not be the formula. I mean, for all we know, the suffering elsewhere in the world is to make other people appreciative of what they have. For all, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm so, you know, I had a debate with an Oxford professor once uh, on a radio station who wanted to convince me that the reason the Holocaust what happened is because it makes the rest of us so much more noble. I do not believe no. that's why there was a Holocaust. No, I, argue that. I don't believe that some child is starving to death so that I can, so that my life gets better. I just don't think so. No, I wouldn't argue that. But what I would argue is that, that when is we what see you just pain, argue. No, no. What I what I argued is that when we see pain and hardship elsewhere, we tend to be grateful for the gifts that we have in life. Yeah. No, I'm not so grateful. Pain. I'm so grateful those children are starving to death because it just makes me really appreciate the fact that I've got a lot of food in my refrigerator. And that, I that, didn't you know, say that. makes me really thankful that those people are starving. I didn't say that. I didn't say that I'm grateful that those children or whatever are suffering. I'm saying that the fact that they are suffering should make us grateful. Look, what's it the alternative? Make me grateful like, at all. Dr. Brown, it does not make me grateful. I'm not grateful because people are starving to death. That doesn't make me grateful. 
With all the blessings you have in your life? Why would that create a positive feeling of any kind in me? Well, no. So you don't you don't thank anything for the fact that you're living a life of relative ease and comfort compared no. to what your condition could be. No, you're missing my entire point. When I became an atheist, weird. when I became an atheist, the the hardest thing for me was giving up saying thanks for my food. But I didn't see how I could thank God for my food because that would acknowledge that God was giving me the food when I knew that other people were starving to death. That meant that God was not giving them the food, which means I was blaspheming God by saying that he was causing people agony. I can't possibly think that there's a God who's causing people agony. Well, I'm going to fall back on what I said. I mean, we we do not know the end of the of the uh, total condition. If you're looking at this life as as everything, it's very easy to think that way. Yeah, but you uh, yourself, looking, you Dr. Brown, is it is it fair to say a, bit, a big difference for you, Dr. Brown, is that you're not looking just at this life in its limited spatial time or you know its chronology. You're exactly. looking at an eternal. But, but not just life beyond this life, but also uh, a time of day of judgment uh, when rights will be when injustice will be made right and, and so on. It is, it's a much bigger uh, picture than just the, the one we're looking at here, where uh, uh, Dr. Ehrman is only looking at this existence. No, 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 Paul, that's not quite right. No, it's not quite right, okay. Paul, because I'm doing yeah, what Dr. Right. Brown is saying. Dr. Brown is saying that the long, the long view, the eternal view only applies to a small slice of the human race. Oh, I, saying, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. Okay. No, if you no, don't believe it, I'll forget it. Allah is just the Arabic word for God. Uh, I mean, Christians believe in Allah. Uh, Arab, Arabic and Jewish-speaking Arabs address God as Allah. So well, most of the human race well, today actually do believe in yeah, Allah. Let's just say do you think that anybody who believes in God in any way will have a good afterlife, or do they have to believe in the Islamic God? First of all, I mean, I agree with Paul. Let's let's change to talking about Creator instead of Allah, if if you prefer. No. Okay. So answer my However, question. I'm, if I'm somebody not doesn't believe in the uh, I'm not Islamic you. God, what's going to happen to their afterlife? I'm not evading you. Okay. I mean, the you have to go back, but this is not just a yes or no answer. Let me let me let me give it succinctly as best I can, but it takes a few sentences. Okay. I mean, since the beginning of time, the test of mankind has to, been to submit to God in the framework of what the prophets brought, okay? So, for example, I mean, during the time of Moses, a person would be a faithful submitter to God if they believed in God and Moses as his prophet at that time. When Moses was superseded by Jesus, it was a new revelation replacing the old. Remember, Jesus said that he was not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, if you trust the Bible, okay, if you trust the Bible, you, you know, you will understand that that means that Jesus was bringing a clarifying revelation. And so to be a faithful follower, a faithful believer in God at that time was to embrace belief in God and Jesus as his prophet and the prophecy of that time. Since the time of Muhammad, peace be upon him, the last prophet and the clarifying revelation, the last prophet is Muhammad, the clarifying re revelation is what we find in the Holy Quran. 
It's the same God that we believe in. The same God as the God of Jesus, as the God of Moses, and so on. Understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying the God of the Christians, because the Christians, you have to talk, which Christian are you talking with? Trinitarian, Unitarian, Universalist, not Universalist, etc. Okay, I'm talking about it's the same God, meaning the Creator, okay? The Creator who gave the revelation to Moses, the Creator who gave the revelation to Jesus, the Creator who gave the revelation to Muhammad. And the bottom line is that all mankind will be judged on belief in the Creator, and belief in the prophet of their time and the revelation that he brought. Right. And in this time, okay. that right. is the prophet Muhammad and the revelation of the Quran. Right. So those who do not accept Muhammad as the prophet, what happens to them in the afterlife? Are you talking about people who had adequate information? Because yes. here's Paul and, here's Paul, Paul, and I, Paul and I know about Muhammad. So okay. we don't we don't believe in him. So uh, I assume Paul does. So so what happens to us in the afterlife, Doctor Lawrence, Doctor Doctor Brown? The the person who has adequate reason to now this is not something I can judge. I'm not the one to judge on this. Okay, this this is where the day of judgment comes into play and Allah's determination is made. But if Allah didn't, if Allah believes that a person had adequate reason to believe in him as the creator, Muhammad as the messenger, and the Quran as the final revelation, and they refuse that, then yes, they will be in the fire. Okay, so thank you very much. So that, I mean, so, so what's your the, explanation what's the for why there's suffering in the world? What you said the reason for the suffering in the world is because there could be paradise afterwards, but you mean really the paradise comes to the Muslims, and anybody else who's not a Muslim is going to go to the fire. And so your explanation for why there's suffering in the world is because it's going to be so much worse in the afterlife that we're that virtually the, the vast majority of the human race is going to end up in the fires of hell. That, understand okay. what Muslim means. Okay, understand no, what Muslim I, means. I, 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 get what, I understand what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Not, okay, not for you, for all of the other people who are listening to this podcast. Understand what Muslim means. The people you want to convert, yes, you better listen up because if if no, Dr. Brown's people about who this, I just want to get help become a muslim <laughs> no no the people who i want to get the clear message and not to get some obscured version of it being muslim means submitting to the creator his final prophet and the final revelation let me tell you what muslims believe not you dr Ehrman. you already know this but the audience just so that they understand there are pillars of belief in islam and there are pillars of practice the six pillars of belief and just for everybody out there watching this, tell me which one you don't believe in. The pillars of belief are to believe in God, our creator, one eternal and absolute. His angels, which are his functionaries. His books, meaning the books of revelation that he sent over time. His prophets, meaning against, again, the chain of prophethood and ending in the uh, prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. The fifth article of faith is in a day of judgment, basically an afterlife, a day of judgment, heaven and hell. And the sixth is divine decree. Like I said, what do you not agree with? God, his angels, his books, his messengers, the day of judgment and heaven and hell and divine decree. What do you not agree with? Muslim just means a person who submits to God. Are you there or not? 
Okay, yeah, okay. Now, so Dr. Ehrman, obviously you do not believe in God, so you you cross out the very first one of those. Okay, so okay, Dr. But, Brown, I, I mean, I didn't know this was going to be an evangelistic rally. I thought we were going to have a discussion. Well, no, you made it this way when you when you started saying when you're you, trying to convert people to Islam. Conversation in this direction. I'm you're, sorry, you're trying you're to convert people to Islam, which is fine if that's what you want to do. But I thought we were going to have an intellectual discussion about things, you know. And well, I could, as well, you as you I, know I well, you we could we could get we could get ten representatives of various faiths who could list the things that you have to believe that you're going to go to hell. Uh, I've got you know just within a mile of me, I have people who are who are Mormons, who are Jehovah's Witnesses who are fundamentalist Christians, and they can all list the things, and all of them think that if you don't agree with this list, you're going to go to hell. So, you know, it's not like Pascal's wager. Exactly. It's not like Pascal's exactly. wager. You, you either believe or you don't believe. Uh, and so, uh, you know, so I don't, I don't understand where that kind of conversation gets us, other than, you know, if you don't agree with my persuasion, you're going to roast in hell forever. Dr. Ehrman, you pressed me into a corner. You have to expect this. I mean, you know, my best answer to what you were saying, I'm sorry, my best answer about the existence of, of, of suffering is basically taken from the Quran. And it's basically that Allah, Allah tells us that if he gave things, if he gave people things in abundance, it would lead, lead to sins, transgression and tyranny. And this is something we know about human beings. You give them too much and they become neglectful of their creator. They become arrogant and they turn to sins and transgressions. Look at look at the celebrities, look at the new nouveau rich, look at look at so many people who are given too much and look at their lifestyles and what they turn to. Yeah, I can Dr. read Brown, the you and I, Dr. Brown, you and I are well fed. And um you know, God, if, if the whole thing is that God would give two people too much, then they would live sinful lives. You know, at least he could have given people enough so they didn't starve to death. You and I are not in that boat. So lucky us. You know, God must really love us. Okay, now you just said what I was saying before, that we don't know the reasons for this. We don't know what is behind God's design. But perhaps part of what is behind God's design is to make those of us grateful for what we have, seeing the suffering of others. No, Look, I, I get what you're, I get I what you're saying. We would like to reach out and send everything that we have to the other sides of the world, to these people who don't have. But number one, few of us actually do that. I mean, I mean, those of us who have continue to have, we don't empty our bank accounts to send them to the starving here, there, and the other place. Oh, I mean, I know. We you know, we've, only, we've only had the capacity of feeding the world for the last hundred years. You know, the hum, humans have been around for hundreds of thousands of years. <laughs> My point exactly. And so, My, so the fact is, exactly. we don't do it now. Is still, I just no, we don't do yeah, it. I'm sorry. I just don't think you you believe, and your faith is helping you try to understand the world. That's that's okay. The thing that has thrown me off is that you started out by saying the opposite. Uh, and so if it's faith seeking understanding, then I've got no argument with you. You've got your faith and you're trying to understand. That's fine. Uh, I don't have your faith. And I think that there are a lot of things that mitigate against your faith. Uh, and I think suffering is one of them. And I don't think that you really have 
a, a thought out answer to it. Because if you think it's paradise afterwards or that we don't know the answers, those aren't satisfactory answers. Well, to be clear, I mean, I think we have a different understanding of, uh, of what constitutes knowledge. I could say the same thing in reverse. I mean, the first thing we talked about near-death experiences, blind people seeing in the state of in the state of the near death, you you went off on talking about how this is not scientific. This is not anecdotal. How do you get a blind person without eyes to see? I'm an ophthalmologist. I'm really curious. You duck that question. Okay, let me ask you this: How do you get lightning? How do you get lightning? No, I'm just saying you've ducked every question since. You've gone off and said, "I don't know. I don't know. I don't know." What do you stand for? What do you I stand, stand for scientific reasoning and truth. I don't stand for coming up with a faith position and saying that that's scientific knowledge. We don't okay, know most of why the universe works, but you can't deny that we know more and more all the time. Do we get to know more and more about uh, Allah all the time? No, As I you said, have an old faith that's been around for many centuries. That's fine. It's perfectly fine. But you can't deny that science tells us things and tells us more and more all the time. I'm just saying it's going to keep happening. That's not faith. I'm that's sorry. just empirical experience. It science has. Is, has. Science has more unanswered questions than creationists ask. Has. Oh, I mean, oh they're you, huge. of course there are huge. Well, you look. Okay. You're what, do we know about, okay what do we know about the planet that's 10, you know, million light years away from us? We know nothing. Does it mean that therefore God, like, is the answer to it? No, we just don't know yet. No, that's not the point. I mean, my point is that creationists are able to answer everything from one they framework. Are, <laughs> are you serious? Creationists well, can absolutely. answer everything? I mean, look, for example... I mean, back to the singularity. We still haven't solved that. One more thing where you threw up your hands and said, I don't know. Okay, where did it come from? What where did touched God come it from? off? Where did Wait. God come from? Where did God come this from? Is Same the, thing. This you is don't the know. exact point. No, no. You're feeding, you're making the exact point that I'm making. Okay. <laughs> no, the, I'm making the, the opposite point. The I'm making the no, no, opposite no. point. No, because you are not seeing the point. The point is that for creationists, belief in God explains all else. For scientists, atheists who say it all came from a singularity, it opens up a, a huge number of unexplained questions. Okay, if you're saying if you believe in God, you can explain everything else. If you say it all came from a singularity, where did it come from? What touched it off? What forced the expansion? What okay. controlled the expansion? What, you're, you're a what, doctor. What, Do you believe, I mean, you believe that there are 85 trillion uh, neurons in your head? Uh, again, we're you, shifting gears no, 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 something completely yeah, away from what I'm talking no, it's about. There, you've got 85 I, I billion. Get I get the tactic, but, I, but I'd like to finish one subject. I'd like you to. I'd like to hear you admit that yes, scientists, atheists don't have answers to these questions. They, Dr. Brown, have, I have already they, said this a hundred times, Dr. Brown. We do not have answers to these questions. Okay. Now. Do you think that there are 85 billion neurons in your head? I haven't counted them, but it would not surprise me if that's the You're number. You're a doctor, right? You know these things. You've got 85 I'm not a billion. I'm not either. Ask, you have 85. Ask, okay, so let me ask you this. How do those neurons work? Well, um, okay, how many neurons are in the optic nerve? 
and that's my specialty. Just tell me. I don't know. Okay, you're not so, answering so my look, question. Let's, let's not I'm get asking, into this game of asking asking questions. No, 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 no. This is a relevant uh, point. It's a relevant point. It's a relevant point. You would agree that your brain works on the basis of neurons. So let me ask you, do you know how the neurons work? Your answer is going to be no, because we don't know. Does that mean that the neurons don't work? Just well, because I'm I don't sorry, have scientific answers to things that we synapses. can't explain doesn't do, mean that the scientific about, answers don't exist. The scientific answers do, do exist. We just don't know what they are yet. And so it's I'm silly sorry. to say that since I can't explain the singularity, the only explanation is God. It's like saying, I don't know how the neurons work, and so the only explanation is God. You don't think that. That's not the point. The point is don't, ask, don't act as if we have answers that we don't have. I don't not act as if. Are you listening to me? Not we don't know these answers. Are you hearing okay, that? Wait, we don't know. Wait, not only that. Know. Not only that, but don't contradict your own principles. Okay, the, the fundamental laws of thermodynamics, there are only three. There are only three. Okay, the first is conservation of energy, which is violated by the concept that the singularity came from nothing. The second is entropy. Do you, you understand that the laws of thermodynamics began with the Big Bang? You understand the laws of physics began with that, right? They that were, is the a Big Bang was not governed by laws of physics. No. That was a convenient cop-out that was adopted as soon as this argument was shown. The moment somebody said, you know, you are contradicting your own your own theories, then they said, oh, uh, 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 oh, in that case, we will say that these laws only Dr. started Brown, with you, the Big Bang. How many astrophysicists have you actually read? I mean, I don't know if you read in this are really field, gonna, Are we really going to do this? Deal with it. Gentlemen, I mean, we're going to wrap up shortly uh, because uh, we're ending our allotted time. And, and I know uh, Dr. Brown has uh, uh, prayers, uh, call to prayers shortly, I think, in, in Medina. So perhaps in the last few minutes, both of you can perhaps uh, summarize your positions. Um, uh, first, uh, Dr. Ehrman, and then we'll leave the last word to uh, Dr. Brown, if that's all right. So just a, a couple, two or three minutes each. Thank you. Yeah, my, my, my view is that people, people have faith for uh, a variety of reasons, yep. uh, and the reasons are typically ex uh, experiential. Uh, they, they've, been, they've been raised in a certain way. They've been raised atheist, or they've been raised uh, Muslim, or they've been raised Christian, they've been raised Jewish. They've been raised in a certain way, and they have certain experiences that confirm those, those understandings. Um, and I, uh, I have no objection at all to anybody being Muslim or Christian or Jewish or anything else. When it comes to me personally, I think that there are problems, with mono, especially with monotheistic beliefs, that believe that there is a God who created the world and who sustains the world and who answers prayer, who intervenes in the world. And the biggest problem I have with that is that if it's true, if there's a loving God who is in control of this world, then it's, it is impossible for me, not for other people, but it is impossible for me to explain why there's so much pain and suffering in the world, gratuitous pain and suffering, horrible pain and suffering that, does, that is non-redemptive. It doesn't lead anywhere. And I, so if people want to believe that uh, there's a God anyway, and that their belief in God is right, and that if you don't agree with them, uh, you've got a different view of God or no God at all that you're going to roast in hell, then I've got no, I've got nothing to say to that because it just means that the, the ways of reasoning that we have to do with everything else in our world, 
science, technology, economy, politics, culture. The reason we use everywhere else doesn't apply to this field. Uh, and so if somebody wants to think of that, that's fine. People who don't agree with that would say, well, it's actually not the most rational way to go. Uh, but uh, so I, I have no problem with people believing, uh, but I don't believe because of this issue of suffering. That was great. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Ehrman. Uh, Dr. Lawrence Brown, just a few, few, few final words from yourself, please. Well, I mean, I think my point is basically clear. I, I, I think that disavowing God on the basis of the presence of pain or suffering in the world is basically to pre, pre-presume that that we can design creation better than him or that how he conducts his creation has to meet with our approval. Um, The only plausible purpose of life that I can imagine is to distinguish worthy human beings from unworthy. Life is a test. And the, um, you know, the function, the, the purpose of life is to pass that test, not to fail it. And I would read a quote from the Quran, and this is translation of the meaning of the Quran in English. We send the messengers only to give good news and to warn. So those who believe and mend their lives upon them shall be no fear, nor shall they grieve. But those who reject our signs, punishment shall touch them, for they shall not cease from transgressing. And that's from 648 through 49. And secondly, quote, whatever of good reaches you is from Allah. But whatever of evil befalls you, it is from yourself. And that's 479. It's difficult, perhaps, to put that in the context of a suffering child. But children are not held responsible for their deeds. And we do not get to see whether that child is supported from a position of suffering to a position of beatitude. Paradise, basically. To question God on the basis of his design of creation is inappropriate. It is not our purpose for existence. Our purpose for existence is to recognize him and to serve and worship him. And that is, that's my summary. Okay, thank you so much. Well, uh, thank you uh, to you both, um, uh, Dr. Bart Ehrman and Dr. Lawrence Brown, uh, for all your many comments and contributions there. Um, And thank you uh, to the viewers as well. I um, do leave some comments uh, below what you think about the respective uh, contributions from the two doctors. And um, thank you both, uh, uh, Dr. Ehrman and Dr. Brown, for your time. So we'll um, end it there. And if you're happy for it to go out as it is, um, I'll um, get it up as soon as uh, possible. So thank you both very much. Until next time. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.